Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Anybody else enjoying the passage, the Passion Translation right now? I sure am. It's a great, uh, a great translation and really just enjoying the fresh take and perspective uh, on some familiar passages. You'll know this one, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is what it says in the Passion. It says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart. Everybody say heart. heart. For they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. Everybody say innermost. For from there flows the wellspring of life. I'm here to tell you tonight that your heart, I believe, the ground of your heart, if you will, is the most valuable piece of real estate that there is. The ground of your heart is the most valuable piece of real estate that there is. And I'm here to tell you that whatever can find its way into your heart will influence your life and the life of everyone that you come into contact with day in and day out. We're in the middle of a series right now, Church of Influence, right? I think it's a powerful topic to discuss. And as I begin to pray and prepare for this evening, I felt the Lord just impress on my heart a question. And the question was this. The question was, what's influencing you? And I said, okay, Lord, talk to me about that a little bit. He said, well, before you can be a church of influence, it's important to slow down and ask the question, what am I being influenced by? Because ultimately, whatever's influencing you and whatever's taking up residency in your heart is contributing to the type of influence that you have day in and day out, individually and corporately. Whatever is influencing your heart individually is affecting the influence that you have in your personal realm, and whatever is influencing our heart as a church is influencing the impact that we have day in and day out. And when I, I want to talk tonight about this concept of our heart and the importance of what's going on there. But I want to build and I want to progress into a place of really helping us to be able to discern, pay attention to, be able to see, hopefully with some Holy Spirit clarity, where we have to be cautious to not allow ourselves to be influenced by an inferior type of wisdom. You know, when we talk about our heart by scriptural definition, what we see is, is that our heart, if you look up that word heart and you look at that in any any Greek Hebrew concordance what you find a, a working definition for the heart is this innermost seat like the seat that you're sitting on this innermost seat of your emotions and your thoughts your heart is kind of this collective term for what's happening in your inner world what's going on on the in on the inside of you you all are aware that you have a lot going on on the inside of you right You have things that you're thinking and that you're feeling, and those things are invisible for the most part until you materialize them through your behaviors and through your conversations and through your actions day in and day out. This invisible reality that's on the inside of you is really where we have to begin to tune our spiritual senses to discern 
what other invisible realities in the world around us are trying to influence the invisible reality on the inside of us. And what I mean by that is the nature of the spirit. The book of Hebrews tells us that everything that's visible is made from that which is invisible. Everything that's visible is made from that which is invisible. You know, this sanctuary that we're in right now was an invisible reality at one time. This was a thought inside of someone's head, in a, a feeling, an emotion inside of someone's heart. And they sat down and maybe the first sketch of bringing it into reality was on a napkin at a restaurant. And they said, well, I think that when we build this sanctuary, this church, we should have this many seats. And I'm kind of seeing it in my mind this way. And they took what was invisible and they began to put it down into visible terms so that it could be communicated. It could be observed. It could be quantified. It could be it could be actually uh, understood. Are you following me? It was an invisible reality first that then manifested into a visible reality. The same thing's true in regards to what's going on in our hearts. Breakdowns in relationships in our lives don't begin primarily as a visible reality. They begin as an invisible reality of offense and unforgiveness. Usually the result of something that's happened in the natural, but what happens on the inside of us and the way that we allow what's going on around us to be processed through the walls and halls of our heart ultimately is going to set the tone for how we think, feel, and behave. The ability to stick with a uh, program for diet and exercise Anybody actually been able to stick with the program of diet and exercise? If you're here tonight, I would love for you to pray for me, impartation, to be able to do that. I, I love, I love, I have uh, some friends of mine that are in shape, not very many because I don't want to feel insecure all the time, but I have some friends of mine that are in relatively good shape and if I talk to them and they start to kind of tell me the way that they process their their, uh, their, their thought process around food, their invisible reality around food. They tell me that in order to, to be successful in that realm, you really have to think about food as fuel and no more. And I've talked to some people and they tell me, they say, you know, well, if I was just able to take a pill that would give me all of my nutritional value that I need in a day, all my caloric intake, I wouldn't eat at all. And my first response to people like that is to try to get a demon out of them. <laughs> There's got to be something oppressive and tormenting in their life. Either that or they just never really had good food. So I would love to be able to walk with them on a discipleship journey of all the wonderful foods that there are in, in the world and help them see the light on those kinds of things. But, you know, to be able to stick with a disciplined program of diet and exercise or to be able to uh, complete a a very high level of schooling or certification, that takes a certain kind of internal tone and temperature and posture. It takes a kind of resolve on the inside of you that whenever things get tough in your field of study or whenever things get tough in your fitness journey, there's something on the inside of you, this internal picture that you're seeing, this internal feeling that you have, 
these internal thoughts that you have that's causing you to behave a particular way in the visible reality day in and day out that's having a certain impact and influence. Are you following my my train of thought here? Whatever's happening on the inside of us, it's only a matter of time before that materializes around us. The nature of the spirit, and what I mean by spirit is, I mean, there's like so many different places. You can have like 10 different messages off of just some of the things that I've said now. But when I talk about the spirit, what I'm talking about is this invisible reality that's around us that's comprised of really two forces, that of good and that of evil. To make it really simple tonight, it's the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit. And there's two forces at work in the world that are seeking to influence, that are seeking to gain ground, to take ground in the soil of your heart. And the two forces at work in the world, we kind of get an insight into into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul writes and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, everybody say conformed, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'm here to tell you there's two forces at work in your life. There's two forces at work in the world. One seeks to conform you and one seeks to transform you. The work of the Holy Spirit is seeking the work of transformation. The work of the unholy spirit is seeking to conform you to a different type of reality that is subpar in regards to the kingdom of God. And this invisible reality has a bearing on the way that you think and feel and act day in and day out way more than you think that it does. And most of the time it's displayed in what we see in James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18 James, the brother of Jesus, is talking here about two different types of wisdom. Two different types of wisdom. Let me read you this passage very quickly here out of the English Standard Version. Who is wise and understanding among you? Nobody raise your hand. Right here, good. Someone that believes God right here. Awesome. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, everybody say hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Another word there interchangeable with unspiritual is sensual or resting just in your physical senses, a humanistic view of the world. But notice it says that this type of wisdom is demonic. That means it's of the unholy spirit. But the wisdom, oh, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, verse 16, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Man, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Essentially, what we have going on is that what's happening in our heart, 
This inner seat, the place where our inner thoughts and emotions sit, the internal world, the wisdom that we're operating with is being influenced by spiritual realities. And there's this invisible influence that's contributing to the way that we think and we feel. And it's playing out in the way that we behave and the decisions that we make day in and day out. And Jesus talks about this and he uses a phrase in regards to leaven. Now, these, change, these, these, uh, these phrases for me are all interchangeable. This wisdom that we have that is setting the tone and temperature of our inner world, the spirit that's behind that particular type of wisdom, and this leaven that Jesus talks about. All these things are interchangeable, at least for tonight's conversation. And I want to read to you here this warning that Jesus gives his followers that I believe is the same warning that Jesus is giving his followers today. This is it out of the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, 14 through 21. Is everybody hanging with me at least 50%? Okay, good. Hey, that's good. That's a better response than I got in Durant a couple weeks ago. You guys are doing good. You guys must be a little sharper down here. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. This is it. Now this is after uh, Jesus has already performed one of his uh, multiplying of food miracles earlier in the chapter and now he's with his disciples and they're going to the next place to minister and it hits the disciples that they had forgotten to bring bread now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat and Jesus he cautioned them saying watch out beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod this is the beautiful thing about living life with Jesus is he knows what's happening in your inner world better than you do Jesus knows the type of wisdom that you're operating with. Jesus knows what's in your heart. And they're sitting here just forgetting that they have, that just remembering that they had forgotten to bring bread, but there was something that began, that began to happen invisible on the inside of them in regards to their thought process. And Jesus perceives their thoughts. And we see from the scripture that he does that time and time again. Usually it's like some really opportune times. You know, and just when you think that you'd like to be able to perceive people's thoughts, you wouldn't, trust me, all right? But Jesus begins to perceive their thoughts. He begins to see what's happening on the inside of them in regards to them forgetting to bring bread. And he says this, watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out for this leaven. Watch out for this spiritual influence. Watch out for this thing that you've allowed to occupy the territory of your heart that's influencing you in a way that you might not be aware of. Because the influence that it has on you has the ability to influence everything else. Is it connecting now? Okay. And Jesus says this. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And I didn't perceive their thoughts that time. It says they began discussing that they had no bread. And he says this, listen, this is the key that will help it solidify here a little bit. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Man, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? Jesus is asking these questions. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? 
I'm here to tell you that Jesus' words of warning to his followers then are Jesus' words of warning to his followers now, and it's this, beware of an inferior leaven. Beware of your heart being influenced by an inferior spirit. Beware of your view of the world being less than what God wills for your view to be. The question is this. Before I ask the question, I'll just tell you a statement. All of us have different types of leaven that influence the way that we think. Some of the leaven was planted in the walls and halls of our hearts because of the family of origin that we have, the way that we grew up, the way that we see particular things. Some of it came as we began to uh, get into uh, uh, formalized education, going to school. Uh, there's this uh, psychological uh, rule, and it has a really fancy word, and uh, I'm not that fancy, so I'm not going to use it, and really it's because I can't remember it, but it just pretty much boils down to this. In layman's terms, it's called the law of firsts. Did you know that as a human being, whoever talks to you first about a subject, if it's a new subject, subconsciously becomes the authority in your mind on that subject? How many of you, if you go, could go back into time, would change some of the people that talk to you first about important things, if you would have known that? Can I be honest with you? The majority of us had everybody, had a lot of people besides the Lord talk to us first about important things in our lives. But you see, Jesus isn't too concerned about that because Jesus knows by his Holy Spirit that you have the ability to be transformed in your mind. But this transformation requires some cooperation. I love what spiritual father to me. You guys love Pastor Mark Carrillo. Isn't he an awesome man? And my spiritual mom, Miss Lisa, Pastor Lisa. Something that, uh, absolutely, beautiful people. Something that Pastor Mark taught me is this. It's a phrase that I love, and I use it all the time, and I don't think I quoted you last time, but with you here, I have to quote you, so. God's only limitation is your lack of cooperation. Jesus isn't too worried about who has this law of first dominance in your life because he knows that his spirit has the ability to transform that because you see it doesn't really matter who talked to you first as soon as you start talking to the one that exists outside of time the one who has said Pastor Jacob is in the book of Colossians that Jesus is preeminent in all things you know what that means it means he came before everything it doesn't really matter who's talked to you first about a subject because as soon as you get in a relationship with Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit he is the one that trumps whoever the first person was that talked to you But here's the thing that you have to be aware of is that some of the things that you believe, you really believe more than you believe Jesus. It's not that he's not right. Have you figured out now that Jesus is always right? Have you figured out that what's happened though sometimes in our lives is that our thoughts get married to something called our feelings Because when something's just a thought, it's pretty easy to change. Like if I just think a thing and you can show me out of a book that the thing that I thought was wrong, it's not a big deal. But what happens whenever there's feeling connected to thought is that my heart's now involved because your heart isn't just the seat of your thoughts and of your thoughts, it's the seat of your thoughts and your emotions. 
It's a place where those two things hang out. And there's this, there's sometimes this unhealthy covenantal bond that happens between what you think and what you feel. And there's even some people that you can show right out of a book or with uh, just objective truth on a matter that they're wrong. And they say, I don't care because I feel this way. You ever talked to anybody like that before? Okay, you've talked to yourself, so you've talked to somebody like that before. (laughs) Lord, I don't care that you're putting that person on my heart to pray because I feel this way about them. So this is where we're going to start getting progressively more dangerous now. And you're so positive and encouraging, I almost don't want to say some of this now. I had a pastor, a friend of mine, uh, he's been a friend of the ministry for a long time, a recent friend to me, Pastor Steve Eden. Uh, he came and ministered at uh, the church in Duran a few weeks ago, and he was talking about God's love and the transformative power of God's love. And, and uh, he talked about uh, how you're, it's actually impossible for you to minister well to somebody that you don't love. He gave, an, he gave a story of ministering at a conference a couple months before he came to the church in Durant. And he said that he got done ministering on a similar topic. And the pastor that was hosting the conference got up after he was done and repented to his whole congregation. And these were his words. This is what he said. He said, whenever Steve was ministering, I had the Lord reveal to me that I had led hate into my heart. He said, before this whole congregation, I have to repent and tell you that for the past several years now, I have hated at a deep level the speaker of the house, Nancy Pelosi. Jesus said, come and follow. Okay, don't back out now. Jesus said, come and follow me. 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 I'm very well aware that currently in this country, there are enemies that stand against the freedoms that you and I know. And I'm very well aware of the divided nature politically in the country. I'm very well aware of those things. Contrary to popular opinion, I don't live under a rock. I really do know. And I don't live in a perfect little bubble world. I really do know some of the things that are happening in the world. But this is what I can tell you is that it's never okay for the people of God to hate people. It's okay for the people of God to hate sin because God hates sin. But it's not okay for the people of God to hate people. The pastor, brave man, leader of a big church, got up behind the pulpit and said, I have to confess This before my congregation because the Lord's told me that I have not been able to pray effectively for certain leaders in our political system because I hate them in my heart. You know, Jesus can tell you you're wrong about something, but if you feel you're right, that that thought and that feeling isn't going to go down without a struggle. You have to be aware that to be a church of influence... That means that we want to influence people the way that the church of Jesus Christ should influence people. And if Jesus is the head of his church, then that means that we're following the model that Jesus has laid out for us. And when I look at Jesus, I see a person, God in the flesh, who hangs on a cross and says to his enemies that have actually gone to the worst possible place that an enemy can go, torture and kill him. 
Jesus hangs on a cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Not a lot of room for hate there. But arms open in love. Up to you what you do with it. But Jesus stays the same. I sometimes wonder if we're missing kingdom opportunities because we filter people through our law first instead of the one who is preeminent in all things. I say it again. I sometimes wish, wonder if we're missing kingdom opportunities because we filter people through our law of first instead of the one who's preeminent in all things. See, we're really good at quoting the Bible. We're just not as good actually putting it into practice. So, so Jesus says things like, well, we learn from the scripture. Jesus didn't say this, but we learn this from the scripture. Well, technically he said it all through other people, but... We learn this in the scripture that our fight is not with, say it again, our fight is not with, yeah, but I told you that there's invisible realities that seek to influence the hearts of real physical people so that they can materialize evil things into the earth, but just because those spiritual forces use people to get their will done, it doesn't make the person your enemy, your enemy is still the spirit behind that person. But to be able to know that and to be able to see that, you have to operate with God's kind of wisdom. It's why whenever in the Gospels, Jesus tells his followers, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. People say that Jesus rebuked Peter. That's actually not what the scripture says. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he addresses Peter. Because Jesus knew what was behind that statement. It wasn't Peter. It was an invisible reality influencing his thought process, seeking to stop the will of God. I wonder what would happen if the body of Christ began to bind spirits instead of people. <laughs> Thank you. Go with me to... Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. How many of you want to have a Jesus kind of influence on your city? How many of you want to have a Jesus kind of influence in your world? I know born again, spirit-filled believers that try with all their heart and might to love and trust everybody, but because they have submitted themselves to a law of first instead of the one that's preeminent, they still have negative feelings and thought processes towards people of a different color of skin. That's not the kingdom of God. I know people born again and filled with the Holy Spirit that because they've submitted themselves to a law of first instead of the one that is preeminent, if they see a woman with a microphone preaching the gospel, they have negative thoughts and negative feelings. I know people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and born again, but because they've submitted themselves to a law of first instead of to the one that is preeminent, if a white man of a certain age gets up and starts talking about certain political things, they immediately hate them in their heart. That's not the kingdom of God. Right and left sides of the political aisle are still have to be bending their knee to Jesus. And I'm fearful of a time and a day when the body of Christ at large, I feel and I fear, have confused following the Holy Spirit for a political spirit. Yeah. 
And I think that we sometimes have to stop and ask ourselves the question, what leaven has found its way into us? Leaven of Herod and the Herod leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven of Herod is a pretty simple one. That's the spirit of, 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 of uh, that's a political spirit. A spirit that seeks to divide and conquer by means of disagreement and tells somebody that if someone disagrees with you, they hate you. That's why people shut off to truth now. We see this modeled in the culture so many times. If I tell you I love you, but I don't agree with you on that point, majority of the time, if you talk to someone like that in our day and age, they immediately think that you hate them because you disagree with them. That's the work of a political spirit. I don't hate anybody. But I absolutely hate what the devil does to people. Sometimes we have to slow down and ask ourselves the question, what leaven's on the inside of us? The leaven of religion that whenever we see a woman get up to preach the gospel message, we immediately start having negative feelings and behaviors and stories that we tell ourselves about what's going on. Or whenever we see people of a particular skin color, a particular ethnicity, and we feel a particular way, those things have no place in the kingdom of God. The scripture is clear that in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. It's only Christ. Is everybody okay? I have no problem standing up for conservative morality. I believe that if you read the Bible, you will find that you are pretty conservative when it comes to morality. What I have an absolute problem with is whenever we stand up for conservative morality in a non-Christ-like way. Conservative morality is inferior to Jesus. Jesus informs our morality. And Jesus has a particular way of dealing with people. Jesus postured himself in such a way that it was said of him he was a friend of sinners. Okay, so I'm debating on if I want to say this. Do you believe that Jesus sat at a table and shared a meal with Democrats? We know he sat down with Republicans, the scriptures told us. With publicans. Can I be honest with you? There are demonic powers that have a vested interest in seeing that you worship the elephant and the donkey instead of the lamb. We have to slow down and ask ourselves if we're going to have impact and influence in the time that we're in and in the place where we're called to, then we have to ask ourselves what leaven has crept into heart. And it's really easy to identify what leaven's on the inside of you because it's simple. Leaven, all it does is it causes the bread to rise. So if you want to find out what leaven's in your heart, just pay attention to what gets a rise out of you. Some of you, I'm getting a rise out of you. As soon as I said Nancy Pelosi, I got a rise out of you. The question is, what's rising up out of your heart? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Or is rising up out of your heart, Father, slay them so that our country can be at peace. 
What's the Jesus way? If we pay attention to what's getting a rise out of us, another way to ask that question is what spirit are we of? Or what spirit are we being influenced by? What spirit are we under the influence of? Jesus had a conversation like this with his followers. This is how I know he'll have a conversation tonight with us if we'll let him. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. I've got 27 seconds left. This is going to be awesome. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, Jesus, the time had come for him to die, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and set messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans. Now, you know, in previous passages that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They were those people. You have those people, too. They entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him. And it is true, those people most of the time do not receive you very well. But that doesn't mean that your invitation for lunch should ever expire. There's a lot of people that would refuse me, not have lunch with me, but whenever they're ready, my invitation still stands. My heart's open. So those people didn't receive him. They don't receive you very well either. And he went, and his disciples, James and John, saw this. I love James and John, sons of thunder. About to find out why. And they said this, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? How many of you know that they were operating under the rule of the law of firsts? But there was one standing next to them that says in other parts, before Abraham was, I am can't deny that that biblically happened. It happened. Elijah called down fire to consume and a bunch of crazy stuff went down. But see, even things that are realities that happen first have to bow their knee to the one that's preeminent. I didn't say what you thought I said. Just pay attention to what I'm saying. You will get a lot more out of messages if you just pay attention to what the guy or the gal's actually saying. Instead of what's rising <laughs> up in you. And Jesus turned to them and rebuked them and said this. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Verse 56. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And he went to another village. What's getting a rise out of you? Several weeks ago... We were on the brink of war, legitimate war. Do you remember some of the things that were going on a couple weeks ago between us and the country of Iran? There's a lot of bad stuff going on in Iran. We're on the brink of war with Iran. And it pained my heart. Now, I've calmed down since then, and I can deliver this a lot less emotional tonight than I did when I gave a variation of this to the Durant campus. But I had something well up on the inside of me. And why I have learned not to just stay off of Facebook, I don't know. But I saw brothers and sisters that I know. People that confess the name of Jesus, just like me. Take to Facebook. 
And one particular individual wrote, as we're on the very eve of war with another country, get them, wipe them off the map, turn them all to dust. And as soon as I read that, the Lord dropped this passage in my heart that I just read to you. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of when you talk that way. I said, wait a minute, God, what, what are you trying to tell me? And the Lord encouraged me to pray a little bit and read a little bit. You know what I found out? I found this out. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the entire world is the underground church in Iran? Led mostly by women. Several documentaries that are out right now and they go and they'll actually show you in the mosques. The mosques are for the most part empty because people are tired of dead religion that's demonically inspired. And I thought to myself, what happens when the people of God see us on the brink of war with a country that is the home of the fastest growing church in the world led mostly by women? Whenever we say things like, turn them all to dust. We don't know what spirit we're of when we talk that way. Now I'll tell you this, we live in attention. Anybody walk with Jesus long enough to figure out that a lot of the Christian life is tension? Jesus has no problem with attention because he's the answer, right? We live in this tension of Jesus telling us in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for our enemies and bless those that persecute us. We live in the tension of that with uh, Paul writing in Romans chapter 13 that they're servants of God that are civil servants that carry the sword and that they're actually servants of God to execute wrath on wrongdoing and on wrongdoers, people that have abandoned their conscience in the fear of retribution. How many of you know that we need to deeply honor, respect, and pray for our armed servicemen and women? Deeply honor, respect, and pray. Our policemen, our people in the military. But what's going on in the hearts of the people of God whenever we can be so quick to be bloodthirsty instead of blood washed? What happens in our hearts whenever we're so quick to say, turn them all to dust? And I have, and I encourage, praying for those that are willing to put forth the ultimate sacrifice and lay down their life for us so that our country can be free, defend us from enemies, foreign and domestic. Need a lot of prayer. Need a lot of support from the church, especially in this hour. But I can tell you who also needs prayer. Our brother in Iran, probably whenever he heard the news that there could be war with the U.S., sat with his family of four, maybe five, doing their best to follow Jesus, doing his best to be a Christian father in a world that, honestly, with any roll of the dice, you or I could have been born into. I don't know if you're like me, but I didn't get the choice to be born where I was. I didn't put in a formal request to be the gender that I am or the skin color that I am or have my last name. I'm here and God knows why. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't come to die to save the United States of America? Jesus came to die to save the world. 
So why when things like that happen, sometimes are we not as quick to pray for the Iranian father that's following Jesus to the best of his ability but having to do it in secret that sits down with his family and say, children, there's a good possibility that bombs will come. There's a good possibility that our country could be divided in the midst of the face of war. But we need to do our best to be faithful to Jesus. And we need to do our best to pray and to keep the faith. What happens in our hearts whenever we have something immediately rise up within us to post something like that to Facebook, but we don't have something as equally strong rise up on the inside of us to get down on our knees and pray for our brothers and sisters in places like that in the world? And what happens whenever the people of God are quick to shout out cries of war faster than we are oftentimes to bend our knees and pray for peace. I can tell you what happens. We don't know what spirit we're of some of the time. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus live out transformation. Disciples of Jesus don't live conformed to the patterns of this world, but they live transformed through the renewing of their mind. Disciples of Jesus live out what Titus 3 verses 1 through 11 says in my closing text. The author writes and says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You understand that a brother or sister in Iran is reading from the same book as you. Want to talk about needing to interpret the scripture in a new light when the first line says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. Kind of different when you read it here versus if you're living there and read that there. See, something's rising on the inside of you. <laughs> This is why in uh, one of the Gospels, Jesus begins preaching, and he preaches the Isaiah 61. You know it. You love it, right? For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God's anointed me to preach liberty to the captives. I say, man, this is awesome. This preaching, is that Joseph's boy that's preaching this way? And the people are excited. And then the very next thing he says is, truly, truly, I tell you that there were many lepers in the day of Naaman, but God passed over those in the camp of Israel and went to the Syrian and healed him. And he gives another example about the widow at Zarephath. There was many widows in the land in that day, but he passed over those that were following the Lord and went to the pagan and brought things to her house. He says the whole crowd became angry and decided that they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Because whenever Jesus challenges your law of first, you have to make a decision in what's really going to be Lord. Your opinion or the one who is the truth. So how should we be, Lord? Teach us to be people that live out this transformation. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I like this. But when the goodness and loving kindness 
of God our Savior appeared, the one who is preeminent. He saved us. He saved you as an American. He saved some Iranians. He saved some Chinese. He saved some Africans. He saved some Canadians. I got a rise out of you after that, Canadians. Praise God. The one that's following God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Can I get an amen? Amen. But according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I'm about to speak in tongues. When he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace... We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Welcome to the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. For as a person who stirs up division after warning him once and twice, Have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Did you notice that following the Holy Spirit isn't always being nicey-nice? There's some necessary endings that you need in your life. Do you know it's possible to have a necessary ending in a relationship and still love the person that you had to have the necessary ending with? Because see, we jump on this other camp in the church. To where it's all love, 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 and then never any truth. And then we jump on this other camp over here that's all truth, 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 and not a thing about love. And we're supposed to be following the one who's Jesus, who's full of grace and truth. Let me tell you this. If you fit nicely into any little box that this group over here or this group over here has constructed, you might not be following Jesus anymore. We have to end some partnerships with things that are stirring up division in our lives. Some of you need a necessary ending with the six o'clock news. Some of you need a necessary ending with the influence of a family member that claims to be a Christian, but that's influencing and feeding a racist spirit on the inside of you. You need a necessary ending with that influence. Some of you need a necessary ending in regards to insecurity or low self-confidence or worth. Living with spiritual discernment through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit will lead you to things that need to end in your life. Those relationships, those conversations, those ideologies. Our prayer is this, that if we want to be a church of influence, then we need to make sure that daily, minute by minute, hour by hour, our hearts are staying open to be completely and totally influenced by the one who is preeminent, whose name is Jesus the Christ. And to display him well into the earth. I think that's all I'm going to say tonight. Amen.